right, all right. Happy Father's Day, fathers. I'm going I'm to acknowledge the uh, biological and the spiritual fathers. We have a lot of men who may not have biological kids, but you've got spiritual kids. And, and can we just put our hands together and honor them as well, please? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk today about ministry superpowers. You know, I'm kind of channeling my inner Marvel comic characters because um, dads often think they're superheroes, right, dads? Got any superheroes in the room today? Oh, yeah, I see a bunch of them. The rest of you are too shy to raise your hands, but you're a superhero. You know, dads think they're superheroes for doing things that moms just, moms just do. They don't, think a, they don't think a thing about it. But dads do it, and they're like, man, I'm a superhero. Dad, a dad takes his kid to school and doesn't use a, a bad word the whole way in traffic, and like, I'm a superhero. I kept my mouth clean the whole way. Um, a, a dad changes some diapers without gagging. He's a superhero, right? Like, I got superhero no- nostrils. Uh, dad takes three kids to bed, you know, mom's out with the mom's night out, whatever, and puts them to bed. No one dies. Everyone lives to tell, tell about the next day, you know, and the dad's like, I'm a superhero. So anyway, dads, this message is for you. And uh, this message is for everyone in this room, okay? Because uh, there's, there's a feeling that, Every one of you was made to have. And it's the feeling of, I'm doing exactly what I was made to do. Okay. So I, I get to live with this feeling fairly consistently. And I've been praying for you guys this week. I was thinking about you as I woke up this morning. It's a feeling I want you to have more consistently. And maybe you've never had this feeling, but I want you to have it. And more importantly, I think God wants you to have it. So um, I had it in a very euphoric way when I was in India Back in February, I was in Manla, India. We got a little map of India here. And if you're new to Restoration, we have, uh, we have pastors there that we are training to, to lead a movement. They had zero simple churches in September. Now they have 717. Really cool what's going on there. And I was in Manla, which is just to the right of nowhere. I'm <laughs> like, middle of nowhere. And so it's a little city, but it had villages you know, all around it. People who've never heard the gospel came to be trained. We had 100 people show up for a training event, and I got to watch as some of the people in our church use their, their ministry superpowers to train these, these Indian villagers in how to make disciples who make disciples and how to start simple churches. It was just the coolest thing. So all day long, we're, we're serving, we're training, we got to baptize some people. I watched my friends do the baptizing. And then that night, the, the pastor said, hey, we've got a lot of people here in the immediate area that are experiencing persecution. And he asked me, this is what happens when you, you do uh, mission work. They ask you to preach like five minutes before you actually have to give the message. Uh, don't ever enjoy that. But yeah, okay, I'll preach on what? Persecution. So I preached on persecution. And then at the end of the, the message, I just sensed the spirit was saying, hey, invite people to come forward that have been persecuted and let's pray for them. They've been, you know, uh, they need healing. They need encouragement. So I thought it might be two or three people. There were like 20 people who came forward saying, I've been persecuted, mainly women. And, and we, we listened as they shared stories about being taped to their chairs by their husbands so they couldn't go to church. We heard from some men who lost their jobs because they'd chosen to follow Jesus and, and began to go from being you know, Hindu to, to Christian. We had all these stories. And so we're praying for all these people and these stories were just gut-wrenching. And then uh, we began to worship and there were some people in, in this particular service who were not following Jesus, but they came because they, they'd heard that maybe there was healing power in the room. And I don't know why this happens. It, it seems like when God's moving into a new area of the world, he, he shows off and he shows his power versus the power of the gods that are being worshiped. 
I, I think that's my theory anyway as to why we, we hear about so many like healings and things happening in like, you know, mission fields. But there was a guy who, who walked forward and he was a big, thick guy with a, a jagged scar on his neck. He was a police officer in a, in a nearby village. And uh, I was like, somebody needs to pray for this guy for healing, but there was no one to do it. And so they said, why don't you? And I'm like, well, no one ever gets healed when I pray, for one thing. So I, I, I prayed with like zero faith that this guy would, would experience healing. And he, he looked at me and he goes, he couldn't move his neck. And so we were talking to an interpreter and I put my hand on his very large shoulder and I prayed for him. And all of a sudden his neck went from like this to like, like this. And he was like, I'm healed. And it was about uh, a week later, I got a video of this guy on WhatsApp. And on the video, he explained how he still was feeling great. And he went back to his village and he shared his newfound faith with three friends who came to faith and began to follow Jesus and how his wife got baptized. I was like, unbelievable. And uh, the conditions weren't great. The food wasn't great. Uh, the hotel, there was a, a, a theater next to the hotel. It was like a, they advertised themselves as being like this funplex, right? You got a hotel, you got a little, little putt-putt thing, you got water slides and a theater. Well, they, they were showing movies till 3 a.m. And the subwoofers were right underneath me. And so... Anyway, uh, I was like, you know, levitating off the bed stuff all night. But in spite of these, these circumstances, I, I found myself, my friends from Restoration, we found ourselves in. I, I called my, my wife, Carissa, the next day. And I said, sweetie, I love what I'm doing. I'm tired, I'm hot, but I love what I am doing. And then I said to her, I said, I was made for this. I mean, I was absolutely made for this. You ever had that feeling? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like when you're, when you're do, doing something and it's in alignment with God's mission, what's his mission? Well, we all decided at our baptism that we're going to die to our old way of life and rise to a new way of life. We're not going to be king. You know, we're dead to the, the old king, which was us or queen. And now we're, we've raised to a new king, Jesus. We, at that moment, we signed up for Jesus' mission. And his mission is number one, which is to make disciples who make disciples of all nations, okay? When you're in alignment with that mission, and then you're using your ministry superpowers, it is the greatest feeling in the world. And you have this sense of, I was made for this. Now, if you've not had that experience, the closest thing I can think of would be when you have one of those moments where you go, this is freaking awesome. Like when the Nuggets win, can we give it up for the Nuggets? Come on, come on. That's kind of that feeling. Or, or like, you know, it's a bluebird day, you're on a back bowl and veil, there's, you're the first one up there, and there's like a foot of fresh powder in your ski, and you're like, this is awesome. Freaking awesome is a great feeling, but it's no substitute for, I was made for this. Okay? No substitute. Doesn't even compare. And some of you know what I'm talking about, others of you are not sure, and there's others of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What I'm praying for today is that we learn about our ministry superpowers we come back in alignment with God's mission for our life, not ours, his. We surrender to it in a fresh way using our ministry superpowers so that all of us can live more consistently with that feeling of, I was made for this. Hey, anybody want that today? Let's go, let's go. All right, so um, here's my outline. I wanna talk about what the ministry superpowers are and I'm, I'm going to channel like, you know, again, Marvel comic characters. Like, you know, if you think about Marvel comic characters, they've all got like a superpower, right? Like some of them can like run through buildings and others can do like spider webs and go building to building and other people can make like cool stuff out of iron or whatever. So all of us, all of us have, 
have five ministry superpowers. Some are stronger than others, but we've got these five ministry superpowers. I want to educate you on what they are and then help you discover and deploy yours. So how do we discover them? How do we deploy them? And uh, we'll leave here, I think, more apt to feel that feeling that God wants all of us to have, which is I was made for this. So first of all, what are the ministry superpowers? You ask. All right, I'm going to try to answer. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, verse 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what Paul is saying is there's these ministry superpowers, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and and every one of us has these superpowers and some are stronger than others. And the purpose of those superpowers is to make disciples, to help one another mature and become more complete until we look more and more like Jesus. I mean, wouldn't we all agree that if every one of us became more and more like Jesus every single day, this world would be a better place? Would you agree? Wouldn't a lot of the disunity and the hate and all the dysphoria that we're, we're dealing with right now in our world, wouldn't a lot of it begin to go away if everyone became more like Jesus every single day? That is the purpose of our ministry superpowers. So a ministry superpower is simply a supernatural gift. Doesn't, it's not something we have in and of ourselves. It comes from God. And it's given to us by him to help us make and mature disciples for Jesus. It'll help you be better in the marketplace. It'll help you be a better mother, better father, better friend. But the primary purpose of these superpowers is to help us make disciples who make disciples. Paul says there's five primary ministry superpowers. Not an exhaustive list, but five primary ones. First of all, apostles. The word apostle means sent. So apostles are sent, but they also send. So they send people out to extend God's kingdom that they encourage people to do what I'm doing right now, to go out and to make disciples, and they equip them to do so. Now, prophets know God's will and challenge people to do it. If you know your Enneagram, how many know your Enneagram? If you're an eight, you just might be a prophet. (laughs) Uh, Evangelists, they recruit people to follow Jesus. They're always telling people about Jesus. Um, Shepherds care for the spiritual formation of disciples. Like they want to see Christ formed in people, and they want to nurture that faith that people have. Teachers explain God's word and encourage people to live it. So I'm going I'm to walk through different scenarios where you're going to hopefully get more familiar with these, these superpowers and you go, oh, I think I got it. I think I know what mine are. So let's imagine just for a moment right now that you, you have five people, each who kind of are dominant in one of these five superpowers, and they go out to eat at a French restaurant. Are you with me? Okay. Um, the apostle will start telling the other four how the restaurant could franchise. Uh, she might start wondering out loud if they have the systems, the, the capital, and, and the leadership needed to scale. And while everyone's watching a Nuggets game, second shout out, on the screens by the bar, she'll be thinking about how that one restaurant could become a global behemoth, okay? Apostles are always trying to figure out how to expand things and make them go further. Um, the prophet will start telling others about what's not quite right about the restaurant. Okay, they're looking for the things that are wrong. Um, he will get incensed about a waiter or waitress being rude to a customer. Uh, he will express his organizational, ideological, ethical, perhaps absolute doubts about the restaurant. He might even ask the manager, you know, what the bottom line is. Is it a triple bottom line or do they just care about profits? Okay. Uh, then you have the evangelist. Um, the evangelist will talk to everyone in the restaurant, um, asking them if they eat there often and where they grew up. 
They're always making friends. So before they leave, they're going to have five new friends, five new phone numbers, and five coffee appointments for that week. The shepherd will have a hard time concentrating on the apostles' grandiose ideas because they can't help notice that the couple at table six is struggling in their marriage. They're not talking to each other. It really bothers them. they got the feels going on. And then finally, you have the teacher. Um, the teacher will tell you and the others about the Yelp reviews they read about that said restaurant. Um, they'll start riffing about Steve Reeves' book on traveling around France. They will give you a recipe that they got off the Food Network about how to bake escargot. And they might even teach you how to French kiss if you're single, and it's been a while. I'm just saying. No demonstration needed. A diagram will be just fine, okay? Are you tracking me? They, 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 everywhere they go, they just see the world a little differently based on their ministry superpower. So that's, that's a basic overview. Uh, a ministry superpower is a supernatural gift given to us by God to help us make and mature disciples for Jesus. And there's five primary ones. We could use the acronym APEST, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. All right, so how do we discover ours? How do you find out when you leave here today? How do you go, I want you to leave going, I think I have a sense of what my primary superpower is. Well, I got good news for you. Uh, you need to start by realizing you have, you have all of them. Like all five ministry superpowers are inside of you. Some may be stronger than others, but all five are inside of you. Um, the reason I know that is because Jesus is inside of you. When you began to follow Jesus, something very mysterious took place inside of you. The Holy Spirit came inside of you. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is also called the Spirit of Jesus. So Jesus exists inside of you. And Jesus had all five of the ministry superpowers in a perfectly balanced way. And, and you do as well. So let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes. This, this apest genome is inside of you because of him. So Jesus was the perfect apostle. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Again, the word apostle, it means sent one. It's the word we often use for missionaries. They're sent. Jesus says about himself in John 20.21, As the Father sent me, so I send you. That's what apostles do. They recognize they're sent, and they send other people out into the, the mission of God. He was sent to bring good news, to make disciples, start churches, and build his kingdom here on earth. And he obviously was pretty good at it because over 1 billion people are worshiping him today in settings like this one. So let's remember that Jesus is inside of us. You may not go, oh, I'm not, I'm not an apostle, but he's inside of you. And so you have this strength within you as well because the, the apest genome exists within you. Um, Jesus was also the perfect prophet. In Matthew 21, 1, it says the crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus proclaimed God's word, God's truth. He spoke out against impurity, injustice, greed, hypocrisy, both inside and outside the church. He challenged people to respond to God's call on their lives and to obey him. And again, because Jesus is inside of us, we, we have this prophetic strength within us. In, in Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, we're to speak the truth in love. Every single one of us has a calling to be prophetic from time to time, to call things out in love that we see in other people, speaking the truth in love. So the next time you're on a plane and the person next to you says, hey, what do you do for a living? Look at him completely serious and just say, I'm a prophet from God. What do you do? It'll be fun, trust me. It's, it's a good time. Good. All right. 
Some of you are like, uh-uh. All right. Um, Jesus was also the perfect evangelist. It says about, or he says about himself in uh, Luke 19, 11, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus loved people. Evangelists always do. And, and he came that no one should perish, but that all should have eternal life. He, he was known as a friend of sinners. And all this because he wanted every single person to know the love of his heavenly father. He also was the perfect shepherd. I mean, he said about himself in John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, one day, Jesus went to a village in Israel, and uh, there was all this yelling and screaming, and he could, he could just sense the bloodthirst in the air. And there was a woman who'd been caught in adultery, and the, the law said back in those days, if you're a woman caught in adultery, you should be stoned to death. And so Jesus made himself through the crowd as people were picking up stones and as people were betting on how many stones it would take to kill her and figuring out the over-under on that one. He, he leaned down and he started to draw in the dirt. And we don't know exactly what he drew in the dirt. Different pastors and scholars have hypothesized for a long time. Um, some people think it was the names of women in his genealogy. Okay. Tamar, prostitute. Rahab prostitute, Bathsheba, adulterer. Some people think it was the names of the people with the stones in their hands, you know, Ted, John, Frank, whatever, and listed their sins after a colon by each of their names. See, the same sins that they committed were the very ones that can keep any of us shut from heaven forever. None of us deserves to be in the presence of a holy God. We don't know exactly what it was. He was writing in the sand. But then he stood up and he said, whoever's without sin, let them be the first to cast a stone. And then one by one, they dropped the stones. Jesus was the good shepherd. Good shepherds, they care for people, they nurture faith, but they also protect people. Amen? Aren't you glad we have a good shepherd today? Yeah. And then finally, Jesus was a teacher. In John 13, 14, it says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Um, Jesus taught with his mind, his mouth, but also his example. He embodied in flesh and blood the very things he taught. He once gave a message on a hillside of Capernaum that began with a poem, was filled with analogies and metaphors and turns of phrases that just left people dizzy. And when he finished speaking, everyone realized they'd heard something so profound that they stood there stunned because of his authority. And to this day, the world has never heard a better teacher. And to this day, people are still plunging the depths of what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was the great teacher, the greatest teacher ever. And he, he came to teach us how to have abundant life, how to have eternal life, how to live with that feeling of, I was made for this. I know exactly what I was made for. Um, Jesus had all five of the ministry superpowers in him. And because he is in us, we do too. Can you believe that today by faith? That the genome of Jesus, the apex genome of Jesus is inside of you. And you have all five of these supernatural powers from God inside of you. So none of us have an excuse for not speaking up, not teaching, not sharing. Everything we need to make disciples, who make disciples for generations to come is inside of us because Jesus is inside of us. That's step one. 
understand what they are. Step two, think about what you do well in the marketplace. So your ministry superpowers, they show up everywhere. It's not just when you're in church or in your simple church or you're trying to you know, help somebody grow in their faith. They're, they're everywhere all the time. And, and we're to be ministers in the marketplace. So they show up there and we're to use the very strengths we have in the marketplace to, to make disciples there and, and elsewhere. And so some of you, your, your primary strength is that of the apostle. And so if you have this apostolic strength in spades, um, you might be an entrepreneur, CEO, maybe you start clubs at school if you're younger. Uh, but here's the, you, have, you have visions. You have visions of what could be and you're great at recruiting people to actually fulfill that vision. I'm having dinner with, tomorrow night with a, a mentor of mine named Larry Osborne. He talks about the Tom Sawyer effect. And I just realized that people don't read Tom Sawyer anymore. <laughs> I found out in between services. You've, I'm sorry if you didn't read Tom Sawyer and you read whatever instead. So Tom Sawyer had this ability. He could, he could uh, get a job. Someone would say, hey, you got you to paint this fence. And before the day's over, he'd have all of his friends painting the fence and he'd be back inspecting everything. And they're like, how is it that I painted this fence? And I loved it. That's the Tom Sawyer effect, Okay. Watch the movie. Um, anyway, you, you're able to get people to do things. And you go, I would never have done this, but now I, I'm doing it and I love it. Um, others of you, you're stronger as a prophet. If you're a prophet, you're, you're likely a manager or an artist. Okay? A lot of artists are prophets. Um, you might play the role of cultural architect or creative designer or comptroller. You, you care about people doing the right things for the right reasons and in the right way. You care about integrity care a lot about integrity, about the, the integrity of the, of the culture that you're, you're part of at work and in the academy. So some of your prophets. Others of you, you're evangelist. If you're an evangelist, you're likely in sales. Okay? In fact, at, at work, you might, might even be called the evangelist for a, a certain product. Uh, you love people. You, you've never met a stranger. Your, your contact list runneth over. You probably have lots of followers on LinkedIn and social media and you're passionate about that product and, and you, you have patience. Like you're okay with a long sales cycle because you know it'll be worth it in the end. And then some of you are shepherds. You might be a therapist, a counselor, a social worker, or maybe you work in HR. You know, you're trying to make sure people have a great experience at work and they're aligned with their strengths. I mean, you care deeply about people and unity. You feel what people feel. You're very empathetic. Um, you're also deeply disturbed by disunity. You want people to be unified. And then when people are being hurt, if good people are being hurt by bad people, your mama bear, your papa bear, it comes out. <laughs> you get very protective. And then finally, some of you are really strong with the teaching ministry superpower. Um, you might teach in a school. You might actually have the title teacher, or you might be a manager or, or a coach. But you lo love taking complex ideas, simplifying them, and then using them to create value in people. And your best friends are books, podcasts, YouTube videos, and TED Talks. Like you've never met, a, you've never met content you didn't love. Okay? And you want to share your friends with other people. All right, let me just ask you. Think about it for just a few moments. What are you really good at in the marketplace? Like where do you shine? Are you more of an apostle there? Prophet? Evangelist? Shepherd? Teacher? Okay. All five of these strengths are inside of you but some are going to shine more than others. You know, Jesus was perfectly balanced. As we become more and more like him, we'll become more perfectly balanced. But most of us have some strengths that are much greater than others. So I'll share with you mine, my, back to the eight best, apostle, prophet, shepherd, teacher, all that. This would be me. Um, so I, even before I, I was following Jesus, I would create groups and teams and stuff. 
And then shortly after I, I came to faith, I, had, I did two business startups. I started a student ministry and apartment ministry. I've planted four churches, two in San Francisco, two here. We've helped start 50 churches with buildings. You know, our movement now is 900 simple churches in Denver and many more around the world. I love to start things. I wake up in the morning thinking about how can I help young disciples reach their friends, disciple their friends, and create a community where their friends can thrive. I mean, that literally gets me out of bed in the morning. I love it. And some of you have that same gift. Um, I'm somewhat of a teacher. The hard part, and you, you, probably, you, you may be doing this with your strength, is you know, we live in a day where you can watch all these great teachers. And I compare myself and I go, oh, I'm not that good of a teacher. I suck, actually. I should be selling cars. But, but you know, bring the gift down a little bit. I have been given by God this ability to like, I love to learn and think, and I love to take hard ideas and make them accessible. So that's been somewhat of a strength over the years. Um, I, I thought I was an evangelist until I met people who really are. <laughs> I think I just do it a lot. But I somewhat frequently will lead Uber drivers or people in the church to, to faith. And then I've had to really work in the prophet shepherd thing. I don't like conflict. I'm not a big prophet. And uh, by God's grace, I've become more of a shepherd. It's growing. Like, I think just because God's broke, broken me so many times, like when I hear your story now, because I've been so broken, I care... I feel it. Like when you're hurting, I feel it more and more. But it's not like a major strength. It's growing, though. So how about you? If you're going to take your, the five strengths, the, the ministry superpowers that God has placed in you through Jesus, how would you rank them? Are you thinking about this? Like you're getting this? Okay. All right. Good. All right. All right. So we've talked about how to discover them. Let's talk now about how to develop and, and deploy them. And maybe as we go through this, if you're like, still not sure what, what gifts are yours, maybe it'll become more apparent. All right, uh, three ways you can develop and deploy your ministry superpowers. Number one is find someone who has what at least you think might be your ministry superpower and then learn all you can from them, right? So I've been really blessed as somebody who has some apostolic strengths. I, I've been blessed to have friends who are really strong in this area. So if you're new to what we talk about so often around here, disciple-making movements, church-planting movements, they're a, a, rare, a fairly new phenomena in the modern era. But if you go back to the book of Acts, all it was was a great big disciple-making church-planting movement. In fact, Paul speaking to the church, it was right at the epicenter of the whole thing. He spent three years in Ephesus training and his leaders, and this movement exploded all over Asia. People were making disciples in the marketplace, and their friends were coming to faith, and their family members, and they were starting little house churches everywhere. They didn't have buildings like this or churches like this. He was right in the epicenter of this thing. And then after Constantine, we started putting building, our buildings together. And we started calling the church this, this edifice. The church is not the edifice. The church is you guys. And so we kind of lost our, uh, our understanding of disciple-making movements and how they can, they can reach people in mass numbers, you know, person to person. And then in 1991, there was a guy named Curtis Sargent who was on an island off the coast of China, and he, he realized everything he knew about church wasn't going to work. And he just began to listen to the Holy Spirit as he studied the book of Acts, and he started doing the stuff that he saw in the book of Acts. And this, this island, which was like almost 0% church, all, by the time he left, a few years later, there were 8,000 Christians, and within 10 years, a half a million. And I've had the good fortune of being trained by him. Um, I've got another friend, I'm going to call him Robert. He doesn't give his name out to people because he's in so many closed access countries where people are persecuted. He is a full-time real estate agent, full-time. And he has 2 million disciples in his movement in Bangladesh, India, and Sierra Leone. 
Every three months, he goes over there and he trains and he's on Zoom calls all the time. And he's a full-time real estate agent. Is that cool? And I, this guy, he's 76 years old. Have you ever met those guys that are like, he's from Tennessee. Those guys from the Southeast, are like, they're older and like, you know, kind of country boys. And they, they, they do deals and you're like, you know, they all shucks themselves all through the deal. And then after the deal is over, you realize you just lost all your money. He's that guy. He's this Mr. Aw shucks. But this guy is so smart when it comes to how to make disciples make disciples. I'm learning so much from this guy. I want to encourage you, find a mentor. You name your ministry superpower, your, your number one superpower, and find someone else who has it, but they're further along than you, and learn all you can from them. And then just try stuff and fail. You know, let's, let's create a culture as a church where failure, we believe, is just not it's, it's not fatal, okay? In fact, let's just get rid of the word failure. Can we do that? Let's just call it learning. Because if you're not failing, you're not learning. I, I love this quote by Winston Churchill. What would a message be without a quote from Winston Churchill? Success is stumbling from failure to failure, failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Isn't that a great quote? Let's be enthusiastic about learning and failing. Let's keep failing forward together towards God. Um, a couple of ways you can, you can serve around here and just start failing with us is uh, you can join our serve team. So there's a bunch of people with like little, little uh, lanyards on right now. They're all on the serve team. In fact, what, what they do every weekend is they serve coffee. They make you feel warm as you come inside. They greet you. And then they're discipling our, our kids upstairs and downstairs. And they're, they're playing in the band. They're doing tech. And they're up in another room making sure we're you know, live on video someplace. They do all these cool things. Can we just put our hands together and thank our serve team right now? And they just, they just started doing stuff. And then as we watch them, they get affirmed by community and they start figuring out what their ministry superpowers are. I would encourage you, just join the serve team. You can also go online and you can, you can join there as well. And then probably the best place to use and discover and deploy your ministry superpowers are in our simple churches. You know, the, 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 I love what we do here on the weekends. I love the fact I get to do what I'm doing and we get to come in here and we got a light show and a great band and we get to worship. But, but the early church, they, they knew nothing about the spectator sport that we've made Christianity. They were all meeting in homes and everyone meeting in these little things they called churches in a home, everyone got to use their gifts. There were no spectators. Everyone was in the game. And that's what's happening in our 900 plus simple churches in the city. People are able to use their ministry superpowers when they get together and they experience church in a home. Isn't that cool? So if you're not in a simple church, man, we'd love to help you. Um, sign up online. It may take us a while. We'll help you start one or we'll help you find one. We're always launching new ones. And especially this fall, we'll launch a bunch. So man, we'd love to get you in a simple church or help you start one sometime soon. And the last but not least, uh, keep getting feedback. You know, we don't grow without feedback. Um, Kent Blanchard once said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. The only way we grow in our giftedness is to constantly be asking people for feedback. Um, I have never preached a perfect message. In between service, I had a couple of guys, Ashton Elder, Jason, and Tim, all gave me feedback on some things that, that weren't, wasn't quite connecting. And you can also give me feedback after this service, but just be nice because it's Father's Day, okay? But I don't grow without feedback, and neither do you. So let's, let's create a culture of feedback. I've been watching these, uh, these Kobe Bryant uh, like inspirational, you know, moments on Instagram and stuff. You guys seen those? Any Kobe fans in the house? Dude, I love Kobe, man. And I know he went through a rough season, but man, I, he ended well, didn't he? 
Not only did he end as one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but he ended up being a really good man. And I think the reason he ended up so well was because he was not afraid of feedback. And I watched this, uh, this one video of Michael Jordan doing a eulogy at his funeral. And he's crying like crazy. And you're thinking, oh yeah, can't wait for the meme this time. Michael crying. You, probably have, you see that meme? Anyway, two of you got that. Um, anyway, you know, and, and, and he, Michael talked about how Kobe would call him up all the time, asking for feedback, asking how to, how to get better. He said one time Kobe called him up at 2 a.m. and said, hey, Michael, I'm trying to teach my 12-year-old my girl some moves. What kind of moves did you know when you were 12? And he said, Kobe, I wasn't even playing basketball when I was 12 which is kind of frightening to think about, you know. Because he was so annoying because he was always asking for more information, more feedback. He was always trying to get better. Man, let's kind of, let's create that culture here. Can we do that? We're, we're, we have really small egos and a really big vision as a church. We always want to get better. We always want to learn. So by way of review, um, a ministry superpower is simply a supernatural gift that God gives to us to help us make and mature disciples for Jesus. And the superpowers are a best, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. You have all five of these inside of you because Jesus is inside of you. And you discover them by thinking about what you're, what you're good at, what you do well in the marketplace, what you do well in your neighborhood, with your friends, what you do well in the church. And you just keep trying stuff until you, you hone them. You hone in on what they really are. You ask Jesus to keep helping you become more balanced as you follow him. And then you just keep fail, failing forward and getting better and better at using your ministry superpowers to make disciples make disciples for generations to come. I, I want to end with a, a story that I heard this week that, uh, that moved me. It's a story about a, a woman from North Korea. And if you don't know much about North Korea, it's one of the worst places on the planet to be a follower of Christ. I mean, if you get caught especially if you get caught you know, assembled together with other people, like some kind of church, it's, it's likely a death sentence or, or maybe uh, you're going to get sentenced to hard labor or prison. I mean, it's not the place to be a follower of Jesus. Okay? And this woman, uh, it was a passionate follower of Jesus. She got sent to prison twice. The first time she escaped, went to China and they found her there and brought her back. And so the second time they gave her a much harsher sentence. And she was placed in a prison cell with 150 women, and the cell's maximum occupancy was 25. Can you imagine? And one bathroom, ladies. I was a single dad of two teenagers. We had two bathrooms, and they fought over the bathroom. Can you imagine 150 women with one bathroom, right? And so they had to schedule when they used the bathroom. But this woman, she chose not to be gagged by the people who were overseeing the prison. She just said, I'm going to share my faith, whatever the cost. She was careful, but she began to whisper and talk about Jesus to people. And over time, more and more of these women began to follow Jesus. And then she would, she would tell them stories from the New Testament. She would teach them the teachings of Jesus and the verses she memorized. And she started talking about how Christians have to be in a church. Like we were all designed to be in community. And we can't really maximize our gifts, our ministry superpowers, unless we do it together as a team. And so they thought, we need a church. How are we going to do church? And, and they realized that between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m., that's like the best time for them to go to the bathroom and do church. So they would, they would take turns in groups of two, sometimes three if they felt really brave, going to the bathroom to do church for two to three minutes. 
and they would encourage each other and pray for each other and worship just for a few moments. Then they'd go back and try to go to sleep. Well, the MC who was introducing to this woman to a 5,000 Christian leaders somewhere in the southeast part of our country at a conference said, hey, everyone, put your phones away. If you take a picture of this woman, she could get killed. So put your phones away. And then, as you can imagine, she came out of the, the green room and down the tunnel out into the, out into the stadium, and everyone stood up and just erupted in applause. And for 10 minutes, they just stood there giving her a standing ovation. And she stood this little tiny beautiful North Korean woman with tears streaking down her face. And the MC had to stop the applause and make people sit down. And then he began to interview her. And and one of the questions he asked her was, hey, if you could redo your whole story and you could erase those three years of suffering and all that squalor, would you do it? And she said, absolutely not. She said, those were the best three years of my whole life. How could a woman say that? The reason she could say that was, number one, she was living for the most important mission on the planet. The mission that Jesus gave all of us as his disciples, of making disciples who make disciples of all nations for generations to come until he returns. Second reason was, I don't know what her ministry superpowers were or are. I don't know if she's an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. But I know this, whatever they are, she used them. She used them to bring a lot of light into one of the darkest places on the planet. And that woman could say, that woman could say, I was made for this. I was made for this. And my restoration family, you are too. You were made for this. You were made to align yourself with the most important mission, the only eternal mission. I mean, the only thing that lasts is God and people. You were made to live for that mission. Your other missions, great. That's, that's got to be number one if you're going to feel what God made you to feel. And then number two, you've got to discover your ministry superpowers. And when you use them for God's mission, there'll be moments where you'll feel what God so made us to feel, and that is, I was made for this. Amen? Let's seek that feeling. Let's seek that experience together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the giver of all gifts. And the greatest gift you've given us is the one we're about to remember through uh, the Eucharist and through worship. We're going to remember the fact that your son came into the world to show us life itself. And we thank you that in him we have the hope of eternal life. We also thank you that through your son, you've given us the most important mission we can ever live for, the only mission that's eternal, and that is that of making disciples of all nations. And then you've given us all these incredible gifts, these ministries, superpowers. We have all of them inside of us because Christ is in us. We please help us to be mindful of them, to discover them and develop them and deploy them for your glory. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.